Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Wow, that was great. Thanks, guys. Was that not good? I think he's played that guitar before. Just a little bit. Really nice. And what's nice about it is the truth. You know, we, we hold back to other people because we think if they really knew what I was like, not only would they not love me, they wouldn't like me. But you are full, whether you want to or not, you are fully known by Jesus Christ, your Lord and God. He, he knows everything about you and loves you uh, beyond ability to grasp. And so when I think about that sometimes, I think, well, why, do we, why do people run from him? I don't know. But maybe God will help us figure that out today. Well, we, we have just um, completed a, a five-week um, five journey that we've been calling How to Come Back to God. We, we uh, took that journey together, and we wrapped it up last week with a talk uh, uh, from Psalm 51 toward the end of David's King David's prayer of coming back to God after... Uh, running away from him and getting all, into all kind of sin and rebellion and stirring up a bunch of stuff about the consequences. And he had prayed that God might in his grace deliver him from the consequences of the sin that he had set in motion when he was away from God. And I asked you a question. I said, well, how would you, how would you like to avoid those consequences in the first place? And, and most of you raised your hand. As a matter of fact, the vast majority did. I, I don't know why everyone didn't. Uh, to that question. It reminded me of uh, uh, Pharaoh way back there when Moses was encountering him uh, thousands of years ago and uh, to challenge uh, him to let God's people go and he wouldn't. And so finally God started sending plagues. You remember that? Remember that? Charlton Heston, you know, <laughs> plagues, the Ten Commandments story. So, and um, one of the plagues were frogs. There was an infestation of frogs all over the land. You remember that? And then they started, you know, they're just frogs everywhere. It's in their food, in their beds, and they're everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And so finally, Pharaoh once again said, we can't stand this anymore. He called Moses and he said, ask, the, ask your Lord to stop this plague. I'll let your people go. Moses said, great. When? When do you want him to stop it? He said, Tomorrow. Like, I want to have one more night with the frogs. <laughs> Just one more night with the frogs. What, what tomorrow? So I wonder, why, why wouldn't we say, no, 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 I want, to avo- I want to avoid the terrible consequences that come from the sin that I commit when I'm uh, in rebellion against God, if it's for five minutes, five days, five months, or five decades, I'd really like to avoid that on the front end. Well, God's given us a way to help with that. And so we're starting uh, a a series of services and talks. There may be about uh, 10 or 11 of them uh, on on this subject because God gave us some things to help us with that. We're calling this a life that wins, the Ten Commandments. And uh, yes, God did give us these uh, to give us a life that wins, 
for our good. More about that in just a moment. But before we begin, I, I thought like any good teacher, I might need to check the temperature of the class, kind of know where what our starting point is here of uh, knowledge and understanding. So just uh, smile big, just a little test. We won't go on your permanent record. Uh, you know how I feel about those. And uh, uh, Get your hands free just a second. I just want to know a little bit about your knowledge of certain things. So how many of you in here can give me the name of the four Beatles? First names of the four Beatles. How many of you could give me their names right now? So somebody shout them out. John, Paul, Ringo, George. Yeah, hey, how many of you knew those? I mean, come on. Yeah, wow, right, really good. Okay, good. so far so good. How many of you can give me the seven ingredients of a Big Mac. <laughs> now think about it. Uh-huh. How many? Okay. Think about it. I bet more than you think. You ready? Ready? Two all beef patties, special sauce, <laughs> cheese, pickles on, on a... Wow. Wow. How many of you got that? How many? Do you remember? Yes. Look at this. How many of you can pop up and give me the Ten Commandments in order? About three. Okay, just wanted to check, see where we were on this. So maybe we, we might, this probably, okay, so I did hear from God. We need to talk about this a little bit. Is that right? Is that, is that an indicator that maybe we need to know this? Okay, good, good, okay. So Lord, help us with these things. And um, thank you that in your great love and care for us, uh, you spoke and uh, so that we can know, know you and know your ways. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Uh, the fear, the love, the reverence of, of our, our Lord God, we believe Jesus is the God of the Bible, and uh, is the beginning of wisdom and understanding and knowledge on all things, including uh, how, to live a li- how to have a life that wins. He wants you to have a life that wins. Therefore, He spoke. And this is what we find. We find His wisdom and understanding for life and living, not only for life and living, but a reflection of who he is in himself. Righteous, good, holy, wonderful. And in these Ten Commandments, we find that reflection uh, and the kind of life he wants us to have. Good, uh, full, meaningful, a life, a life that, that wins. Now again, some would say, well, they're outmoded, and then some have famously said our cult, in our culture, well, these are outmoded, we need new rules. I, I don't think that was well thought through because uh, I think they've stood the test of, of time. In fact, while they were written down for us and God spoke these ten words, in fact, by the way, you know, the, the Ten Commandments are never called the Ten Commandments in the Bible. They're never called that. They're called it, it, the... the uh, they're act, they are actually referred to in the Hebrew as the ten words. God's ten words. Ten words for a life that uh, wins. And they were written thousands of years ago after he spoke them. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says this, Whatever was written in the past, speaking of the scriptures, was written for our instruction so that we may have hope. 
through endurance and through, in, and the, and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. This, this is God's Word. He wrote them and gave them to us uh, not to restrict us, not to harm us, not to be negative. He gave them to us to give us hope and endurance and strength. Uh, another place to, to bless us, to give us a future and a hope, to give us a life that wins, the life that He intended. Now, the Ten Commandments are about the only thing that the three great world religions agree upon. Jews, Christians, and Muslims all agree that these, are, these were given by God to Abraham. We, we all agree on that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, God says this, Never forget these commands that I'm giving you. Teach them to your children. So he told us to do two things, remember them and teach them. Remember them and teach them. You see that rhythm? Remember them and teach them. Remember them and teach them. Now, we all remember the Beatles, and we all remember the content of a Big Mac. Uh, let's, let's, keep, let's work in across these, I don't know how long we'll be here, 8, 10, maybe 11 weeks even as we journey through this understanding. Uh, but... Uh, let me encourage you to go to, begin as part of your quiet time with God, to meditate on, to reflect upon uh, the account of these ten words in Exodus chapter 20, second book of the Bible, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and in Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Just, just as part of your time with God, just... Across these weeks, keep reflecting on these, meditating on these, praying through uh, these to remember them and to teach them to our children. Teach them to not just the content, but the why and the where they came from and why God gave them and why they are positive and good and, and this, this direction from God. Why it is miraculous that we as human beings have this direction from God. Now, we... You know, again, we've seen the movie and we've got it in print, but don't don't divorce yourself from the historical context in which God spoke. He had delivered the nation of Israel, where they were not a nation then, they were slaves of about a million of those people, never been a nation, out of 400 years of slavery, took them into the wilderness and was in the process of not only making them a people or a nation, but began to teach them who He was, what He was like, the only God, uh, their God, and the way to, to live life as God intended human beings to, to live life uh, to the fullness with His great blessing and His presence. And so there in, in the wilderness on Mount Horeb, uh, Deuteronomy speaks that God in the cloud and in the thunder and in the fire spoke. Now Moses first heard them, but in Exodus 20 it says God spoke these words to the people. God spoke. Now, they came out of spiritual and moral chaos from where they, uh, they were, and everybody just kind of trying to figure out who God is and how we should relate, and we just make up our own way. But all of a sudden, God said, you don't have to, you don't have to wonder any longer. I am going to speak to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to show you the way to salvation. It is a, it is a proto-gospel. It is grace. It's a, uh, an expression of the salvation of God that He reveals Himself to man. We don't have to run and find Him. So don't forget the, the stunning setting in which God spoke. And uh, we still hear Him today. We still hear Him today. Well, t- so, so I'm going to introduce this series of talks to our church family 
this weekend by um, giving, there are many reasons that we should study these and understand the 10 words rightly. Now, wrongly understood and wrongly applied, they become burdensome. It's not the gospel. But Jesus, remember, rightly understood and followed, and his will and ways, rightly understood and follow, bring life, the life that is eternal, the life that is good, the life that is everlasting, a life that wins in this life and the next. And so we wanna, I want to I give you four of the many reasons why we should look with great eagerness and anticipation and hope and excitement at these ten words. And I'm going to give you four of those. And here's the first one. Jot them down. Jot them down. They are our standard of behavior. They are our standard of behavior. Now, the prevailing view of the culture in which we live uh, has a different view. It says there is no one right... This is one right way to live, but it's not the only right way to live. This is not the only right way to live... Uh, there's no one right way to live. Everyone ha- gets to decide for themselves and has to decide for themselves what is true and right for them. I'm happy that that's true and right for you. It's not true and right for me. I have my own truth. You ever, he- ever heard that? You ever said, well, if, you, if you've just, I mean, if you've watched 30 minutes of TV, you've heard it two times. It's in our literature, it's in the legends, it's in the poetry, all of the, it's in the songs of the culture, it's in the poem, all the poets and artists uh, who are the most powerful voices in our culture uh, believe this and say this, says what the culture says. Now, it's, now but, but doesn't, it, doesn't that sound appealing? I mean, that's not a trick question. It does, doesn't it? Right? It does. Hey, everyone ha- needs, has to decide what's true for them. It's the prevailing wisdom of the age, and it's prevailing because it sounds right. It does. There's a great appeal there. And so if someone, um, if someone is told that they are wrong, if I'm told that I'm wrong, you're told that you're wrong, uh, the, the natural follow-up question then, if you hold this, is who says so? Says Who? Now, that's a, big, that's a big philosophical question for the age. It says, who gets to say what's right and wrong? Who gets to say, right? Who gets to say? Now, our culture says everyone, everyone gets to say for themselves. Um, so let's, let's talk about this a second. Do not raise your hands. I'm not joking with this. This is not a game. This is a kind of a self-assessment. It's, it's a diagnosis I took myself through this week because we're all affected by this, um, by this pattern. We're all affected by it and this thought. Uh, how many of you here, and, and again, many of you here are, um, you've been following Jesus for a long time and, and you may have the mind of Christ. Others of us are somewhere in the journey here. You're, you're seekers, spiritual seekers, checking out the claims of Christ. So we're all over the page here. We all, we're all have been or are affected by this mindset of the culture that I just described. So self-diagnosis, don't raise your hands. Uh, do you believe, think, now do I believe, do you believe that there is no one right way to live and everyone has to decide and gets to decide for themselves what is true and right for them. Now, you, you might say, you know, yes, I do. I do. I believe that. So if this is you, I had to ask myself this question. If this is you, have you ever 
or do you ever think or say that someone else is wrong in what they do? Have you ever thought or said, they're wrong, That's, that behavior is wrong? Have you ever had kind of righteous indignation well up in you at the news? or at, That's wrong. Everyone knows that's wrong. Wait a minute, you can't say, you can't say everyone knows that's wrong. Uh, do you ever th- do you think some, what someone else says or thinks or does is ever evil or wicked or should be punished or should be changed? Should, ought, think about those terms. That should or that ought, that speaks of moral absolutes. Now, wait a minute. You see, that, if that's you, that view is incoherent. It does not make sense. For if everyone has the right to determine for themselves what is true and right and good, there is no really true and right and good. There is only personal preference. So yes, there is right. No, 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 not if that's true. There's only personal preference. And you can't say to me what I say, think, or do is wrong. You can say, I don't prefer what you do and I don't like it. But you cannot say, it is wrong because there is nothing wrong. And then that, this is precisely why we have moral chaos in the world. I mean, we have moral insanity and moral chaos. Now, let, let, me, give a, let, me, give a radical, let me give a radical example. There are much more subtle examples than this, but let me just go to the extreme. If it's true, if it is true, if reality really is that there's no one right way to live and everyone get, gets, has to decide for themselves what is true and right and good, then the Me Too movement has no, no place to stand. So what, what do you think? I said, I, yes, I do think they have a place to stand. What has been done to so many is evil and wrong and morally unjust and, is, and should be punished. It is not only a sin, it is a crime. But, but if everyone decides, so, so I, don't, I don't like it that you power up and abuse women. Well, that's one thing, but you can't, if you say everyone gets to decide what's right, you can't say that it's wrong. He said, but, we, we said but, but everybody gets to decide they can do whatever they want to do as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. That was the opening lecture of Psych 101 at West Georgia College in the fall of 1970. Only problem with that is that that's not true. You can't do anything without affecting other people. Almost everything we do, if we do anything that crosses a particular moral line, we hurt other people. We hurt other people. So, so the culture's view, I'm just quickly trying to build a very, very quick case here that the, the prevailing view of the culture does not make sense. It's not workable. It's why we have moral chaos. And it actually, the fact that even those of us who hold to the view, that's true for you and not for me, everyone gets to decide what's right uh, for them. Even if I hold that, if I get frustrated or have righteous indignation toward anyone else, it proves I don't really believe that. It proves that I think there is some moral code that applies to every human being. So where are you? I believe there is. I believe there's a moral code that applies to every human being. So who gets to say what that code is? 
You know, well, some people say, well, I want a theocracy, and I want to be, I believe in a theocracy, and I want to be Theo. <laughs> Uh, you know that but that's where we are. We we want to be God, we want to be our own God, or we want to say what's right and wrong. But I uh, I think our culture is muddle headed when it comes to this issue, and I think we're suffering for it terribly. God says in the book of Romans that we are self deceived at this point. Read Romans one, meditate on Romans one. That every human being is self deceived at this point, and we have the capability of being self deceived at this point. Uh, if C. S. Lewis. Uh, makes this argument for a, an objective moral code in his classic book, Mere Christianity. Uh, much better than me. I recommend that you read uh, his book. So, who does get to determine what is right and what is wrong? Who can tell a person that to do a certain thing is right or wrong? I think only one being. I, I think after almost 67 years on the planet of pursuing this question, I'm fully convinced that it's God alone. I think God does. I think. I think if there's, I think uh, if there's not a God, then good luck. I'll, you know, I'll see you at the end of this life. We'll just figure it out and just do the best we can. But if there's a God, He gets to determine what's right and wrong. He gets to. He gets to say. And the good news is, the God of the Bible is completely good. He is completely righteous. He is completely all wise and all knowing. And He has your best interest at heart. He has my best interest at heart. That is His claim in the Scripture. And so, what He says is good is for our good. It is for our good. God does um, for our good. The Bible says it this way. Look at Exodus chapter twenty, verses one and two. Then God spoke all these words. God spoke. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He said, he didn't leave us to wonder. I I spoke. I spoke. God spoke. He spoke these words to us. And these ten words are our standard of behavior of what is right and wrong. They teach us how we are to live. They teach us what God considers to be right and wrong. It is God who determines right and wrong conduct. Not our circumstances, not our situation, not the consequences, not our intuitive knowledge, not our motives, but it is God. He knew that we could not handle having no boundaries. Now, we say we can, and we're trying to prove it in our experiment, especially since the 60s, that we, you know, we, can, we can set our own boundaries, and we turned everything upside down, and we have proven one thing. We can't live life with no boundaries. We've, we're, we're destroying ourselves. And, um, but because God has spoken, we can know what, what is good. God in, so what is good? Here's the claim of the Bible. God and His ways... God and His ways are good, and He is the standard, so He gets to say. So, first of all, there's a lot of stuff there, but why should we study these? They are our standard of behavior. There is a moral code, and whether we believe it or not right now, deep down in our soul, we sense it. We sense it, that it is. So here's the second reason. Here's the second reason God gave them, and it's part of the nature of the ten words. They are our safety fence to keep us from harm. They are our safety fence to keep us from harm. God gave us these ten words not to restrict us, but to save us. He gave them to us not to punish us, but to protect us. He gave them to us not to harm us, but to help us. Uh, 
back when I was in college, I grew up in the southeast. We don't have much snow here. Uh, always wanted to go snow skiing when I was in college. Uh, we had a big uh, snow weekend in the southeast. And so jump, we, some of us jumped in the car and we went to Maggie Valley, North Carolina, went to western North Carolina. And uh, for uh, first time to ever attempt skiing, it was fun. It was so fun. The first, first morning, a lot of snow everywhere. And so it took a little bit of a lesson. You know, basically they just teach you how to get up when you fall down. Um, that, but that, is that, what do you need to know? Boy, you need to know that. Because uh, a lot of falling down took place on that first day. And so I spent a little time on the, on the bunny slope get practicing and, and getting my skis under me. And I kept looking up the hill to the right to the intermediate slope. And they looked like they were having a lot more fun. A lot more fun. And so about halfway through the morning, I said, hey, I'm, you know, I had a little bit of athleticism then, none now, a little bit then. And I said, okay, I'm, hey, I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm going. And so I got on the little uh, lift and up the intermediate slope. I went and I, so I got off the lift and it was, you could see forever snow as far as you could see. Beautiful, uh, uh, a beautiful run those evergreen trees just laden down with snow. I think this is the prettiest thing I have ever seen. And so I watched a few people, and everybody, they, they looked like they, they were just, come on, guys. They were, they were still, you know, snow plowing and, you know, just easing down. And it was a little more aggressive. I could say, yep, this is going to be a little more of a challenge. Up the hill to my uh, right, the, the mountain went on up to my right. Uh, over to the left... The mountain, there was a drop-off all the way down the full length of the intermediate slope as far as I could see. I mean, you couldn't, you just saw blue sky over there. But there was a fence. There was a fence, about an eight-foot tall chain-link fence covered in this this orange plastic webbing. You ever seen that? You know, just a nice, big, soft orange plastic webbing. And I looked over at that fence and I thought, I paid good money to come up here and ski and they are limiting my freedom. <laughs> they, I, I, I want to ski anywhere I want to ski. And so I thought, well, okay. And so I'm kind of in the middle uh, of the slope there at the top. I'm watching people kind of easing back and forth. I said, let's go. I pointed those things straight down the hill and here we went. <laughs> well, in about 10 feet, the trees were going by me. And I started saying, look out, I'm going to hurt somebody. You know, I mean, it's, I knew, okay, I'm already out of control, lost control. And then I started to lose my balance. And I don't remember which way you leaned to make you, anyway, I leaned this way and I took a hard left turn, shoom, straight across that deal. And I hit that fence wide open. <laughs> I love that fence. <laughs> I love that fence. I said, thank God for this fence. (laughs) Now, did they put that fence there to hinder my day of skiing? No. They put that fence for idiots like me (laughs) who, uh, you know, had more energy than brains. And uh, no, they put that fence there. I said, I love that fence. It saved me. It saved me. Now... Every time that God says in the ten words, thou shalt not, he's saying don't hurt yourself. 
and don't hurt people you love and don't hurt this world. And every t- he, every, all of God's negatives are always given for a positive purpose. Now jot that one down. All of God's negatives are always given for a positive purpose, to bless you, to help you, to, to save you, to not to restrict and, and harm you. Now, every parent in this room knows what I'm talking about. I mean, you've seen kids going in a direction you knew that would destroy them and ruin their chances for happiness and fulfillment in this life. And you tried to tell them and you tried to warn them and you tried to discipline them and you tried to sit on them and hold them back. Uh, but they just thought you were being silly and stupid and restrictive and went their own way. But that was not it. It was your life and knowledge and experience and desire to see them experience the best in this life that caused you time and time again to say to them, do not go there, do not do this. I mean, you parents weren't telling your kids not to play in the streets because you didn't want them to have fun. You told them so that they would not be killed. But I tell you, every one of us moms and dads in this room have broken the heart of our Heavenly Father. Time and time again, we have broken every single one of the ten words. So wait a minute, I've I've never murdered anybody. Well, Jesus explained these more fully in the New Testament. And He says, if you've ever been angry with someone in your heart to the point that even in your heart you wish them harm, you got credit for murder. You say, well, golly, who can, who can live up to that? Nobody. Nobody. You say, well, I've, I've never committed adultery. I've never been unfaithful to my, my spouse. Yet Jesus said, well, but if you've ever looked after someone to lust for them in your heart, you have committed adultery. Well, who can live up to that? Nobody. I mean, he raised the bar. He said, every one of us have broken all ten. We tend to wildly overestimate how good we are, and we tend to grossly underestimate how, how sinful we are. We will never fully admit it, even to ourselves and to God. We, we just can't bear to do it. We can't bear to do it. And so um, every one of us moms and dads have done that because of the way we live and... Uh, But God has said, this is my way to life and satisfaction. Uh, But we resisted him. We thought he was being too restrictive, but we were breaking God's heart. So not only are the Ten Commandments our standard for living, for all human beings, uh, and, and our fence to keep us from harm, but there's a third one really quickly here. They are our guide to a good life. They're a guide. Now, l- let me give you this illustration. Car, um, automobiles. Automobiles are very complex, and they have thousands of parts and components, any one of which can go wrong uh, on any given day at any given time. And when you, But when you buy a new car, you get an owner's manual. And in that owner's handbook, if you read it, it'll tell you how to take care of your automobile so that it lasts long and performs the way it was intended to perform. And so uh, we have those. And if you follow those suggestions, you'll get, a, you'll get a whole lot out of your automobile and it'll last a very long time. I'm, I'm trying to stick with that. I drive a, say what year, I drive a 1998 
Ford Ranger pickup. Most of you know that. It's bright blue so everybody can see where I am and, you know, makes me behave. I'm careful about where I go. Everybody will know I'm there. And so, uh, uh, so it, but it's still running and I'm still working the plan. I'm still, I've about worn out that manual. You know, I want, I want it to keep going. Now, human beings uh, are a lot like automobiles. We are incredibly complex creations. There are thousands of components that can, that go into our makeup. And when something goes wrong, it's hard to pinpoint what the problem is. But I want you to know that God has given us uh, uh, an owner's manual. He's the owner, and he's given us the manual. And he said, Here, here's, here's the best way to live. Here are ten words for a life that wins. They're guide to a good life. Now imagine with me. You said, but there's more than just ten commands. Yes, Jewish tradition tells us that there are 613 commands of God in the first five books of the Bible. They are summarized, and the spirit of them can all be captured in the ten words, in the ten commandments. Jesus did even better than that in Matthew chapter 22. He summarized the ten words into two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of this is given so that we, God turns us into people who love God completely, love other people compassionately, and love ourselves correctly. And so imagine with me, have you ever thought about what the world would be like if everyone could and did and was empowered to fully live out the, the keep the Ten Commandments? I mean, um, what an amazing place it would be. We wouldn't need copyright laws. We wouldn't need patent laws. We wouldn't need intellectual property rights. We wouldn't need divorce courts. We wouldn't need locks on our doors or fraud protection. Um, We wouldn't have to spend money on weapons and defense systems. Uh, We'd have to find jobs for all of our law enforcement officers. You might be like, uh, we we could maybe get up a bunch of quartets for the police to go sing in church. Maybe that'd be it. Mason, get one up. We'll get y'all up next week. And so uh, we wouldn't have to, uh, we wouldn't need courts, we wouldn't need contracts, we wouldn't need prisons. So, wow, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Hmm. I think the Lord has more sense than we give Him credit for. And so there's one more reason we should look at these that I'm going to mention today. There are many others. But the fourth one is this. What, what are the ten words, the ten commandments? They are our teacher to take us to a living Savior. They are our teacher to teach us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. A few moments ago, I asked you about a couple of the commandments. Has anyone lived up to that? No one. No one. No one. Who, who actually, sometimes you'll talk to people, so I'm a good person, I keep the Ten Commandments and so on and so on. One thing you know, no, they don't. No, they don't. Nobody always keeps any one of the commandments. And so God uses those to hold them up as a moral and spiritual mirror so that we can see ourselves for what we really are and realize, oh no, I am in trouble I need outside help. And so they run, we, we go to God and say, well, what, what must I do to be in your kingdom, Lord? And he says, well, keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. Uh-oh, I have had ten at-bats and I struck out all ten times. 
Well, oh no. Well, Lord, I can't. Uh, Lord, but Lord, what, what have? Have mercy, Lord Jesus. He says, got it. Okay. Mercy. Grace. You see, the great mystery wonder of the gospel and the, one of the great gifts of the ten words in the moral and ethical standard of God is that we see ourselves finally as we really are and realize I am a sinful person who needs a Savior. There is one. His name is Jesus. And so you see... In eternity past, when God the Father and God the Son, our Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit, determined how He would redeem human being, uh, He sent Jesus into the world to perfectly fulfill the law, perfectly fulfill the Ten Commandments and the 600 laws and the, and the great commandment and great, uh, is summed up by Himself. He, per, he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then He went to the cross in our place for our sin, because of our sin. And while he was hanging on that cross, God the Father somehow arranged for all of our failure, all of our sin, all of our transgression, all of our moral disaster and insanity to be credited to Jesus, placed on, he took it on his body, he says on the cross, and he fully atoned for it. He paid the penalty for it just like, he, like he'd done it himself just like he'd done it himself. So that when we become aware of our own inability to to live in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to God, and we fall and cry out for mercy, God applies to you and me the righteousness of Jesus. He uses accounting terms. He says, I'm going to take your account... And I'm going to credit your account with the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, he treats you like you were Jesus. Perfect. So that's not fair. No, it's grace. It's amazing. That's why I said, I don't deserve this. No, you don't. Why do you do it? Because he loves you so much. You're fully known, yet fully loved. Fully known, yet fully loved. And uh, there, for 2,000 years since Jesus accomplished this, people around the world have been listening to it and saying, now what? What? Could this be true? Could this be so? That's why Jesus is the most fascinating and engaging uh, and compelling uh, person in, who has ever existed and still does and because he is the one who offers this to you and me. And so some of you are probably ready to take him up on the offer. So pray with me. Let's pray. Just right where you're seated, if you've never done so, say something like this from your heart to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I need you. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior Forgive me, Lord, of my sin. And I thank you, Lord, I open up and ask that you come in as my Lord and my God. I will no longer be my own God. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of me. And I commit to serve you as you give me grace for the rest of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. 
You be at work in me, Lord, to turn me into the kind of person who more and more actually lives out the moral and ethical expectations of your will and ways as reflected in the ten words. Thank you for these things. Now, Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. I pray that you'd continue across these ten weeks or so to help us to seek you as we meditate on this, these ten words. Help us to seek you first. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.